Hey there, it's Heike Yates. And I want you to picture this for today's episode, or you may actually doing it while listening to the podcast. So picture this. You're sitting at your desk, typing away on your keyboard, trying to get some work done, but you gotta pee. But you try to hold it. So you're sitting there, maybe crossing the legs, and you're doing a Kegel. And or you think at least that's what you're doing based on what you read on the internet and what your friends have described to you as the Kegel. And you're sitting there and you try not to have to go to the bathroom, but you noticed over the past few months that you gotta go a lot. And you wonder if this is normal. Dr. Michelle Fry talks to us about a sensitive subject and that is pelvic floor dysfunction from a viewpoint of a physical therapist and a whole wellness expert. We talk about the different types and their causes. You also find out if Kegels are really that beneficial and how this dysfunction interferes with your sex life. And most importantly, what you can do to feel and function better with a holistic approach to pelvic floor health. And I love for you to share this episode wide and broad with all your friends and family and anybody that you know, so we get better educated on things that we're not talking about that much or at all. So let's dive into today's interview with Dr. Michelle Fry. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength to lead a vibrant life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of women over 50 around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and sustainable, so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring women who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best life, so that you know not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Michelle Fry. She holds a doctor of physical therapy from the George Washington University of Medicine and Health Science and a master of science in traditional oriental medicine from Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. She is a licensed acupuncturist, registered yoga teacher with the Yoga Alliance and a certified instructor of the gyrotonic expansion method. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, thanks so much, Heike. It's, uh, I'm so excited to be here. Awesome, because you are a specialist in, as far as many other things, but also pelvic floor dysfunctions and the therapeutic uh, treatment with acupuncture and physical therapy, which we'll talk about today. But, yes. but my people don't know who you are. So 
tell our listeners who you are, a little bit about your background, and the only thing I know is that you come from San Francisco. Oh, actually, no, not San Francisco. Actually, I am a native Washingtonian um, by birth. I uh, grew up in the DMV. I uh, was born in DC and grew up in Maryland um, in the uh, Montgomery County area. And yeah, in um, the Rockville, Potomac area. Oh my goodness, because I live in Silver Spring. Oh yeah, I went to Wooten (laughs) High School, yep. And so, yeah, so I actually, I, I moved to San Diego, um, gosh, uh, how many years ago? In two, the end of 2000 to go to acupuncture school. So I think that's the California connection. Um, and uh, I went to and did a master's in traditional oriental medicine in uh, San Diego at Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. And then I stayed there for 10 years practicing. And then I came back to the DC area, gosh, a little over 10 years ago and attended um, GW, uh, uh, School of Medicine and Health Sciences for Physical Therapy. But when I was in San Diego, I had uh, moved out there from New York City. I've, I've kind of trotted my way across the United States um, <laughs> from one coast to the, to the next. So, um, so yeah, so I went to Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in San Diego, and it was out there that I also got into teaching yoga and being certified in yoga. Uh, I worked at the, Top- at the Chopra Center. Um, you may have heard of Deepak Chopra. Yeah. He, um, has quite a background in meditation, holistic health, yoga, etc. I taught yoga there. Um, I also taught at um, the VA in San Diego. I taught yoga to veterans. And, um, and then I hung my shingle for acupuncture and had an acupuncture practice. And I combined two forms of practice. I worked um, with a private practice one-on-one, but I also worked with, um, I created a a clinic called the Acupuncture Co-op, which was a community-supported acupuncture model. And what that is, is it's um, group acupuncture, if you will, sitting around in lounge chairs or massage tables in some settings um, in an open environment. And it provides cost-effective uh, treatment for uh, anyone who requires it at a sliding scale. And uh, they, there are many community supported acupuncture uh, practices around the country. Um, generally, uh, the sliding scale runs from about $25 to maybe $55 or $60, depending on the area. And um, it's a nice way to, to offer acupuncture. Um, to uh, people who might not be able to afford the one-on-one uh, sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, did the, did the Chinese medicine come in there as well, or where did you learn that? At the same so time, Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine was at Pacific College of Oriental Medicine, where I uh, attended, and that was a. I have a master master's of science in traditional oriental medicine is what it, how it's referred to traditional Chinese medicine. Um, 
yes, uh, the, the traditional oriental medicine is kind of a, a throwback term, but that is what the degree is in, but it is traditional Chinese medicine, yes. Now, I think this is fabulous that you started something for low income or uh, people with low income that couldn't afford acupuncture because it can be really expensive when you go out and get treatment. Absolutely, absolutely. And at the time, you know, insurance didn't really um, cover acupuncture yet. And that's changed a lot in the last 15, 20 years. But, uh, but back, back when I started this, it, it, it was difficult for people. So, you yeah. know, I would treat, you know, lifeguards and surfers to teachers to, you know, to various various uh uh professions and and backgrounds so it was it was a nice it was a really nice model actually it really fostered this um sense of community and sort of levels the playing field of of um of everyone of of hey you know i've got something going on too and here we can all share in this healing modality and create this wonderful energetic space together so I'm a huge yeah. I'm a huge fan of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. I've experienced that over the last year and a half as I had to deal with gut problems. Oh, and huh. so acupuncture is like I it's I was a little man I wasn't quite sure if this is going to work or not because my doctor said, "Oh, there's nothing I can do. You have colitis and all I can do for you is give you some Pepto-Bismol and massive description and this is you're going to be stuck with this. And my friend who's an acupuncturist, she says, I think you should try acupuncture. Yeah. And I said, okay, that sounds a lot more like what I would do. And, <laughs> and it was a game changer. So uh, your style of acupuncture and Chinese medicine combination sounds very similar to her treatment. Is there a different name and umbrella or how do you identify which acupuncture style you get? Um, you know, I've studied many different styles. Um, I've studied uh, five element style. I've studied some Japanese styles uh, and some other um, more orthopedic styles. And so I, I usually show up, you know, with the patient. How does the patient show up? How does the client show up? And and what is going to be best for them? Um, a, a lighter approach or a heavier approach? Also, you know, what's their what's their understanding of acupuncture and do they need um, a more biomedical description and approach um, for them to feel comfortable or do they like to get more into oh tell me about what is chi and what is energy and what is yin and yang and then you know i might go down that rabbit hole but um i, I really try and bridge the gap between um the very poetic metaphorical aspects of acupuncture and how biomedicine has um, come to understand it. And a lot of it is just really a difference in vocabulary, frankly, okay. you know, um, we use yin and yang in, in um, Chinese medicine to describe uh, things that we see in the nervous system, you know, hot, cold, um, tight, loose, uh, um, uh, hot, cold, I said that, and inflammation versus stagnation, um, different aspects of that, even 
uh, emotional aspects that can be more anxious or more depressed and how their manifestations in the nervous system um, that can be described poetically through the lens of Chinese medicine too. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit. How did you initially get interested in physical therapy in that whole realm of healing? Yeah. So I, I probably have to go back to um, when I got interested in acupuncture. I was living in New York City and um, working in a completely different field and was starting to have some GI issues, some gastrointestinal issues and um, started seeking out other forms of therapy when um, conventional medicine wasn't uh, helping. And so uh, that was my first foray. And then one of my first yoga teachers uh, was also a Qigong teacher. Mm -hmm. So she introduced me to that. And it sort of, I sort of, this whole world opened up to me. So then I started taking some classes and fell in love with it. And then I moved, that was in New York, and then I transferred to this, the sister campus in San Diego of Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. And I had a teacher there, a professor who was in a physical therapist. And the physical he was a physical therapist first and became an acupuncturist later. And I really became interested in his journey and how he could apply um, both what he learned in PT, um, to acupuncture and, and vice versa. And um, many people may have also heard of dry needling. Dry needling um, is a term that uh, physical therapists and other medical doctors sometimes use to describe um, their version of acupuncture. And there's uh, a lot of uh, political territorialism between acupuncture and um, PTs with what that means, if it's acupuncture or not, but mm. essentially you're using acupuncture to do some um, orthopedic style uh, kneeling, um, mm. which was also part of my acupuncture program. So, so I learned a lot about orthopedics during my acupuncture program and had this mentor of sorts um, in this physical therapist professor of mine. And so when I left acupuncture school, I thought, wow, you know, that would be such a great combination. And so, you know, I practiced for a little while um, with just the acupuncture. And then I decided, yeah, I think I want to go back and, and do the PT degree too. And then from there, so much just opened up. I, um, in terms of pelvic floor, I had no idea that I was going to go down the pelvic floor uh, journey. And, um, and then I just started learning more and more about it and how important it was in, in musculoskeletal injuries, um, hip, low back, um, and then GI issues, um, bladder issues, you name it. So many pieces fit together. So I became more interested in it. And that's how I, it all sort of blended together. Nice. Yeah, this is a really fascinating background and a great journey, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> now, yeah, it has been an interesting journey. Michelle, what types of pelvic floor dysfunctions are there? Wow, so pelvic floor dysfunction is really a big umbrella term uh, that covers a lot of different uh, areas. So I mentioned a little bit about um, GI issues. So certainly um, the, the anal sphincter 
and rectum and intestinal tract has function into the pelvic floor. Um, there's also continence in terms of urinary continence, leakage. Uh, there's pelvic pain. Pelvic pain might be painful sex. It could be um, pelvic pain uh, just with sitting or certain fabric and clothing being up against you. Um, pelvic pain and pelvic floor dysfunction, as I mentioned a, a minute ago, can um, have some crossover with hip and low back pain and groin pain. Uh, even men, men and women equally can have pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, also in that same framework of musculoskeletal, hip and low back and groin issues. But for men, it could also be pelvic pain uh, related to uh, chronic prostatitis, um, prostate issues in general. Um, back to women, you can have pelvic organ prolapse. That is um, an aspect of pelvic floor dysfunction, um, defecation, urination issues. Um, so many issues, so, so many aspects um, can, can uh, be put under the umbrella of pelvic floor dysfunction. Function, it's a yeah. pretty broad and all-encompassing term. What do you see most often? I would say I see most often um, urinary-related issues, um, some prolapse for sure. Uh, I, I typically treat women. Um, I don't treat men. Mm -hmm. um, but there are pelvic floor physical therapists who do treat men. And um, I see, uh, and, and I would say certainly the musculoskeletal piece, right? So if somebody comes in with a hip or lower back issue, I already know that I'm going to ask them questions about um, bowel bladder function, um, pelvic pain, uh, pain with sex, uh, elimination, digestion, all of that is going to be part of the, that line of questioning. So um, pelvic floor in and of itself, I would say prolapse and uh, incontinence issues are the things that I see the most, and then certainly low back and hip issues. I use a lot of exercise and movement part of, as part of my practice. So um, a lot of the research really shows how important um, for self-efficacy, which means um, personal empowerment of taking charge of your own care and better long-term outcomes are seen when, when clients and patients are in the mix themselves and are doing, um, doing proactive things not not just in not just in um, our sessions together, but taking the information and the homework and running with it, and that's really where you see the best outcomes. Yeah, I'm so, a big um, I'm a big believer in homework too. I'm like people can't just work with me once a week and expect to see results. Right, right. I, I often use the analogy of if you want to lower your cholesterol, you can't just eat one bowl of oatmeal a, a week and expect <laughs> to you know to lower your cholesterol. It's got to be a, a very um, multifaceted approach. Yeah, very so. true. Now, when you see a client, you said you have a very personalized approach. You take in what their needs are, um, what, where they're coming from. Describe one of the situations. Do you have a, a client story that you can share that would tie into what we're talking about? Um, yeah, so... 
Uh, I have a client who, female in her 60s, who, um, who came in mostly with musculoskeletal issues and um, hip and low back pain long-term. And then we came to find out that she has um, a little bit of prolapse uh, and also a lot of gastrointestinal issues, a lot of difficulty with, um, with defecation, constipation, uh, and a little bit of leakage, urinary leakage. And um, she was, she, she's, I would say she, and and she would agree she's a was a very is a very anxious person and stressed person and that stress aspect was a really big piece of how we approach her care um, because you know all of us can hold tension in our bodies anywhere some of us hold it in our shoulders and our necks and some of us clench our jaws and grind our teeth and we have tension there. And some of us hold it in our pelvis and on our glutes. And, um, and, that, and, and the way we hold ourselves just in daily life and how that can affect so much of our pelvic floor function, uh, the way we move through life, the way we lift things, carry things, um, back pain, hip pain, uh, the ability to completely evacuate our bowel, and to uh, and and our bladders as well. So, so with her, what we really found was a big piece for her. Um, and and there's a lot of layers to unwrap, right? I probably should have chosen somebody that's more that's more straightforward. Um, but but there were a lot of layers here that we had to unpack with her breathing and where she holds tension in her body and stress and sort of that armor that a lot of us can wear around our daily lives, just getting through life and relationships and work and so on and so forth. So just by working on her breathing, she was able to improve her level of constipation and her ability to evacuate her bowel. Um, and she was somebody who had used for a very long time a lot of stool softeners, mm -hmm. laxatives, things like that to help her go. And, um, and she always was complaining of feeling bloated and, and um, stuck and, uh, um, and so forth. And so just with teaching her how to breathe and to giving her some tools there, that was a big game changer for her. So, um, and, and, and certainly that's a big game changer for how we hold tension in the pelvic floor um, as well as throughout the system. And, and when I say throughout the system, I mean even um, our psychological system, our nervous system, our fight or flight response. So she, she was able to really feel um, a lot of changes on multi levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How is how is breathing and the pelvic floor connected, Michelle? So when we take a breath, um, our diaphragm lives underneath our rib cage, almost like I like to picture like a little parachute with little uh, little. Uh, tendons that are like the strings of the chute that attach to the 
parachuter to the spine. And so when, the, when we breathe in, the diaphragm pushes down into our guts and kind of pooches the belly out. And we stretch the, the muscles of the belly when we breathe in in a relaxed way. And then what also happens there is that the pelvic floor, the tissues there between the sit bones, the tailbone, and the pubic bone start to stretch and expand very gently, not like our belly does, but it stretches and it expands. And then when we exhale, all of that comes back up. So the pelvic floor draws back up and the, the belly flattens out again. And so sometimes when we have this um, tension that we're holding in the pelvic floor, that might um, be connected to our breathing that maybe we're holding in our bellies, our tummies, and trying to look thinner, thinner in our skinny jeans or, or whatnot. And we don't allow that full excursion of the diaphragm. So it's almost like um, you know, a rubber band. You, know, you pull out a rubber band from the junk drawer and if you haven't used it in a while, maybe it, it becomes kind of uh, stiff and it doesn't stretch in the same way, right? You can't use it in the same way. So similarly, when we, we don't get that excursion of the diaphragm, then the belly muscles and the pelvic floor muscles, that fascia and the musculature, it gets stiff. And so if we think of I'm skipping around here a little bit, but think of a bicep curl. And if you started your bicep curl holding your weight down at your side with your elbow straight and you bent that elbow up, right? And you did your bicep curl there versus if you started with the elbow bent pretty much all the way and you just trained your bicep curl with your elbow already bent, you're not really going to get that full excursion of the muscle stretching and contracting. So you're limited to how much force generation you get from those tissues. So similarly with the belly, the core muscles, the inner core canister, meaning our abdominals, our pelvic floor muscles, some of our back deep back muscles and our diaphragm, we don't get that full expansion and natural length tension relationship of those muscles and tissues. So we don't get to use as much of that. So if we're not breathing properly, then those muscles can, and, and if we're holding tension there, we can create a lot of host of problems with what we call a hypertonic pelvic floor, which is it's too tight, it's too tense, and it can't relax in order to, let's say, completely evacuate the stool or the bladder. Yeah. It's a, um, the, the bicep curl is a, is a good analogy for somebody who's not familiar with the pelvic floor and all the muscles and what's going on. I mean, my listeners should know by now where their pubic bones are and their sit bones. I hope so, guys. <laughs> yes. It's hard to do these kind of uh, interviews without, um, without pictures to kind of... Uh, uh, demonstrate where things are. Yeah. Because so. I was, I'm thinking, you know, as you explained the diaphragm movement, I was like, my hands go on my ribs and I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. Yes. Yes. It's true. It's true. And people don't think about they Oftentimes they have an, a backwards picture of, of that movement. Right. So, yeah. um, and, and that movement might change a little bit depending on what we're doing. So if we're relaxed and, you know, lying in bed versus, um, you know, picking up 
a, a grandchild or um, pushing a car out of a ditch, right? The, the breathing requirements and the tension requirements for those muscles changes. Mm -hmm. And that's another important component of, um, of pelvic floor and breathing and that core uh, function. Yeah. So we always talk about, most of us, we just talked about relaxing the pelvic floor, but most of us talk about strengthening the pelvic floor through Kegels. Is there Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. So, so, you know, a lot of times we get so focused on the strengthening aspect that, you know, we forget about the, the, the lengthening aspect and that that's really important, just like the bicep core bicep curl, right? So you're going to get better bicep strength if you are using that bicep curl all the way through its entire range of motion, right? Mm -hmm. So we talk about in PT that a muscle has an optimum muscle length tension for the best generation of force. So if you're working your core and doing your kegels and pulling up and tightening, tightening, tightening all the time without letting go, then you're missing out on a lot of that strength um, building because you're only training a teeny amount of, of those tissues, of those muscle fibers. So yes, Kegels are important, but if we think about this length tension relationship, sometimes we have to lengthen before we strengthen. And now sometimes that changes depending on the person, right? Where we really have to meet the person where they are. So some people, they're using that analogy of a rubber band, their rubber bands are completely stretched out, right? There's some connective tissue issues. There might be some changes in um, the tissues from aging. Um, we tend to have thinner structures in the pelvic floor because of estrogen loss as we age. And so that can affect how we're approaching things too. Um, so usually with um, a tight pelvic floor is also a weak pelvic floor and a loose pelvic floor is also a weak pelvic floor. So sometimes we think tight as being stronger, but not necessarily. Am I making sense? Absolutely, because you, you're talking a little bit Pilates here. It's like lengthen and strengthen. And you're like, right. we're lengthening the spine. And then once the spine is long, we can strengthen the muscles around it. That's what I always teach. Right, good, yes, yes. And I, I like to use the image of little babies, right? When they're first born, they're, they're born in what we call physiological flexion. They're up in that little teeny tiny child's pose position, curled up. And they have to, they need their tummy time. They have to be on their bellies and stretch out and lengthen before they can strengthen. They have to find that length first before they can learn how to roll over and sit up and stand up, etc. So it's a similar thing with with every tissue um, in adults as well, that, that we need to lengthen as well as strengthen. But now I will say this, is sometimes we can get too focused on the stretching aspect and miss out on the strengthening aspect. I, I think I see that a lot in yoga and teaching yoga. You know, there's a lot of this, oh, I have to my hips, can we do pigeon pose? And, Sometimes the tightness is more because you're weak. And so you have to balance that out and more yin yoga or stretching yoga isn't going to fix the situation. You have to um, approach it with both length and strengthening. 
Yeah. And in Pilates, you talk mostly about um, engaging your seatbelt, engaging your lower abdominals, kegeling. We're all in Pilates, it's mostly about the tightening of the whole lower quadrant of your body. And that I think sometimes is way too much for somebody, like you said earlier, the person who is already tight and tense. Yes. Yes. Tight and tense more. <laughs> yes. Yes. And actually, I will say, you know, um, Pilates, um, ballerinas, dancers, a lot of us who are in these kind of movement fields, we typically will see, and I'm generalizing, but uh, many of these types of movers tend to have high and tight pelvic floors, and they need to focus much more on the lengthening and the breathing. A lot of times, you know, I talked about that. We, you know, tuck your tummy in, pull your tummy in, tummy to your spine, all those things. Mm-hmm. But that cre- can create that shortening of the tissue, and also it changes the pressure system in that core cylinder that we have. And so if we're always pulling in our belts all the time, mm-hmm. if you imagine your your belly like a balloon, and if you were to squeeze the balloon in the middle, right, that pressure is going to go up and it's going to go down. And depending on how you do it, if it's your high abs, your obliques that you're squeezing in, you're going to get more of that paunch and that pushing out of the lower belly, which pushes more pressure to the pelvic floor, which you can have two responses. You can have more tension and tightness as this hypervigilant pelvic floor takes, tries to take over, or you can have a failure of that pelvic floor where then you have this leakage, you have, um, you have an inability to manage that pressure. Mm-hmm. So laughing, coughing, sneezing issues, and you have leakage because your body, your pelvic floor isn't a- able to, um, create enough tension to resist those pressures of coughing or even just a full bladder. Mm -hmm. So lots of pieces there to unpack with breathing um, and lengthening the tissue. Yeah. It's like, and and like you said, you know, every body is so different and you need to choose what, what really works for that individual and not just like a, here is a general consensus of this is how it's done. And yeah. how we do it, but and it's not good for you, then we need to let go of those beliefs. Yeah, yeah. And we really have to look at people holistically, you know, and I think that's where my background has really helped, you know, coming from this yoga background and movement background and um, um, acupuncture as well is really looking at, and, and certainly in PT and in, in medicine, we're starting, there's definitely a push more to look at people from what we call a biopsychosocial approach that we're not just looking at body parts. We're looking at the whole person, you know, body, mind, heart of how does their nervous system impact what we're seeing here, right? How, how is, how is stress impacting the breathing and how is the breathing impacting the movement of the belly and the pelvic floor and um, tension that we see in the jaw can be mirrored in the pelvic floor through fascial mapping. And there's just so many layers and it's fascinating to me um, to look at it through all of these lenses. So what a lot of things. What role does diet play, Michelle, in all of this? 
So with regard to um, broadly, I would say, you know, eating a healthy diet is going to be important for our whole, entire system in terms of how we manage inflammation, how we sleep, how our cognitive function works, our ability to um, interact in effective ways in difficult situations to more specifically, let's say areas, let's say continence issues. They're definitely known uh, known bladder irritants, for instance. Yes. So um, bladder irritants include um, caffeine, carbonated um, sodas and uh, uh, citrus beverages, also alcohol, um, cigarettes, chocolate, food coloring, artificial flavorings, um, things that are acidic or have lots of tannins in them from vinegar and tea, um, even spicy foods. So um, these can all create irritation in the tissues of the, of the bladder and the urethra. So sometimes what I'll have people do is do a, what we call a bladder diary where we're noticing, um, okay, you're tracking how frequently you go to the bathroom and what you've been eating and drinking. And usually I'll do two to three days for people to, to really hone in and see, okay, how much, how frequently am I going? What did I eat beforehand? And is there a correlation? And can we, can we change some of that um, through diet? And certainly there are um, medications, there are diuretics that people might be taking for high blood pressure, um, sedatives, opiates, um, even vitamin supplements like B vitamins, C vitamins, and other multivitamins that, that they can create more urgency and frequency. So sometimes timing those, obviously you can't always change all of those um, medications, but maybe the timing of them can be played with a little bit. Uh, but the certainly diet is, um, is, can be a, a quick fix for a lot of people. Yeah. How about acupuncture? Because we haven't tapped into this. We talked about uh, body breathing, diet. Yeah. What about acupuncture? How can that help or affect pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah. So, so acupuncture, there are a couple of different ways I look at this is that is that, okay, so we can use acupuncture to affect the nervous system. So right there, we have a doorway into helping people relax the fight or flight response in the body where they're holding tension in their body. Um, I don't think it's a standalone treatment for some of these things. Again, we talked in the beginning of the conversation that um, we need to be doing more active therapies or approach, lifestyle approaches on our own individually and not just rely on what we call passive therapies. Mm -hmm. So changing the diet, changing our, our stress management, um, screen time, all of those things. Uh, there certainly with um, musculoskeletal complaints, acupuncture can be really effective in helping release muscles that surround the pelvis. Um, that also work on the pelvic floor. And then in terms of continence issues in particular, um, there are some treatments that are used for overactive bladder and urgency. 
by um, some specific acupuncture points in the lower body and in the inner ankle, as well as the over the sacrum, the back of the pelvis, below the spine, that have innervations directly into um, the bladder system and can help calm those areas down. So that's a nice one to use without you know, having to go down the medication route, because certainly there are medications for overactive bladder, but you might get um, kind of a, a, a bang, better bang for your buck, so to speak, or multi aspects of, of multi um, uh, outcomes here for uh, benef multi benefits is what I'm trying to say <laughs> um, with the acupuncture, because you're treating the nervous system, you're treating the muscle tissues, and um and not just throwing a pill at it yeah. um and then certainly um gi you've had your own experience with colitis and um there are i have you know a handful of patients including my mother even who um has uh, irritable bowel syndrome and and colitis issues that um i see a lot of help with um gi Mm -hmm. symptoms managed well with with acupuncture it was for me it was a game changer i mean my doctor couldn't believe it after, yeah after two treatments two two and a half let's say two treatments i my diarrhea stopped completely which i've had for months wow yeah and my yeah. doctor was like what what did you do i said um yeah i'm not surprised i gotta tell you i'm not surprised i see this all the time and i know gi doctors who do not a lot but i do know gi doctors who prescribe acupuncture so it is coming around so that's good and that's so it's it's all positive around you but i want to know what inspires you to do what you do michelle oh gosh you know I think my own personal journey, and um, I certainly, as I mentioned in the beginning, I my own personal journey got me uh, on this this road of um, getting into medicine, holistic medicine, and physical therapy, and so forth. So, I I really I think what inspires me is hearing people's stories and learning. The whole, all the different aspects, right? That compartmentalism that I talked about before, that not seeing people just as body parts, but seeing people as this full being in front of you and, and um, hearing their stories and how they manage life and, and what we can do together as a team. I mean, I don't have a magic wand, you know, it's definitely has to be a team approach. So I think what inspires me the most is hearing people's stories and getting to be on that team with them. Um, and, and really it being a cooperative partnership of let's find what works for you without, you know, without overwhelming at the same time. What does it mean for you to stay healthy? Oh gosh. Um, for me to stay healthy personally? Yep. Yeah. Um, time in nature is a big one. Quiet time, creative time. Certainly diet and exercise are a big part. I sort of feel like those are just my, you know, that's like showering and brushing my teeth. You know, it's, it's just, it's already in the box. And then the extra things are, are nature and creative, even coloring in a coloring book. 
you know, certainly meditation and, um, and spending time with loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. All of, I mean, it's health is, um, health is more than just the physical, right? It's, it's the mental and the emotional. And we know more and more 25 years ago, mind body medicine was just this little, you know, buzzword, but um, we have so much more evidence um, now that, that it's, it's really true. The body and the mind are so connected. And um, uh, so I've got to treat my mind as well as my body. Yeah. What do you hope to achieve by sharing your story and your advice? You know, I, I think it goes back to that. There are people, there are practitioners out there who will meet you where you are and will take time with you to unpack some of this stuff. Um, and that our partner are going to partner with you that it's not just a prescription to, to follow, but let's partner together um and and be seen yeah now final question how can people reach you and connect with you michelle yeah so i am at elements wellness center elements fitness and wellness center and we're in glover park on wisconsin avenue um you can read about all of our services we have movement gyrotonic pilates yoga acupuncture massage pt Um, we're, we're all under one roof. We've got a wonderful staff and, um, you can find me there elementscenter.com. You can also email me at Michelle with one L M I C H E L E at elementscenter.com and, um, and ask me any questions or follow up from there. Yep. So you guys, this, uh, Glover park is in Washington, DC. So, Uh, Michelle is located in Washington, D.C., so anybody hears this from out of town, you can reach out to her, too. I'm sure she's doing some consultations via virtual, as we all do these days, but you can also go see her in person. Yes, I'm back in the clinic for a couple of days a week, but that's true. Thank you for saying that. I keep forgetting about the virtual thing. Yes, I do. I would say 70% of my work right now is virtual, so I am doing a lot of virtual. You can find me there. And you can also connect with her on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. I am on LinkedIn as well. And the Michelle Fry, because I just looked her up before we had this conversation today. I was like, so let me look who that Michelle person is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. This was wonderful. I, this is such a huge topic. So I hope I put a dent in it. Um, uh, but there's certainly more, more, uh, to be covered here. So um, feel free to reach out. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle, and sharing such knowledgeable information because we've had uh, other guests talk about the topic, but in a different way and with different approaches. So it's like you just said, the more we know, the more we reach out and learn about these different things and, and work together with different practitioners, the better results we get as a human. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 For anybody listening, please reach out to us so you know how to find Michelle. Um, If you 
listen to when you listen to this episode i like you to reach out to me on instagram facebook linkedin you know it i'm everywhere under heike yates and on facebook heike pursue your spark or the pursue your spark podcast on instagram and let us know and i'll share with michelle what you want to know how do you like this episode how this has helped you and what other questions you may have regarding your body your pelvis whatever is related to these kind of things and with that thank you michelle thank you thank you Heike. bye everybody have a great day